The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gillen. Thank you so much for being with us today here on Afternoons with Mike, heard on the Shepherd Radio Network all across the region from Orlando to Ocala, on up into Gainesville. It is great to be together, and I have in the studio, this is Studio A that we're in today, uh, normally John Crossman's studio, I might add, when he records his show as well. I have John as my guest on my program today, but not alone this time. He has brought along his daughter, Claire. Claire, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> we're, we're talking about, I've asked John and Claire to come in today because today's theme is obviously on Father's Day. This coming Sunday, uh, just in a couple of days, we're going to be celebrating that day. And to me, it is a very important day in my life. At the end of segment three, I'll be sharing more details about that. But right now, we want to kind of uh, just kind of tune in to John Crossman's experience of being dad. John, you are a lot of things to a lot of people. You're, you've been boss. Sure. You've been an author that they've read your books. You're a speaker. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you, you're kind of looking funny like, wait a minute, somebody's read my books? Yeah, they have. Uh, you are a speaker all over the place. How many colleges and universities have you been a guest speaker for? Uh, over 30. Over 30. Over 30. Yeah, that's that itself is, I think, a, a big accomplishment. You're a business owner. Uh, you're a successful entrepreneur. But you're also a husband. True. And then with that, a dad. Yeah. That's and so congratulations to you, my man. Well, thank you, sir. And I have to always say on Father's Day, I always have to thank Claire. Claire gave me the title of dad. Like, uh-huh. we didn't have Claire would be a dad. So I'm grateful for that. You know, I will tell you that um, being a father uh, is such a fundamentally changing thing to your life. You know, like um, my wife and I, you know, we were dating and we mad, were madly in love. Still are. It's different, mm-hmm. but it's good. <laughs> you know, that's the same, but all good. Um, but madly in love and you get married and, and I didn't feel like my lifestyle changed that much going from being single to married, but going from married to having a baby, mm-hmm. you know, that was a, that was a huge, huge thing. And I, and I highlight that through two things that kind of jump in my mind. One is, you know, having a child, specifically a daughter, it, it opens doors in your heart that you didn't know existed. I agree. Right. Yep. There's just things about yeah. that that are amazing. And yeah. You know, um, and then the specifically the father daughter relationship, I can remember going to the beach with Claire when she was like two or three years old and she'd find a shell and, you know, to a little girl finds a shell and that's like gold treasure for them. And she would just walk up, not say a word and just stick it in my pocket. And, you know, the fact that, uh, this child thinks the vault, the safest place in the world is my dad's pocket. Mm. Like, that's just a beautiful thing. And, and I'd say it's sort of, um, like this, that, you know, Men, women dynamic in general in life, a lot of it has to do with if you or I, Mike, walked up to any woman in the office building you were in and we went up and said, well, don't you look pretty? You know, most women would think, what do you want? Like, what what is it you're wanting by saying that? When you have a daughter, it's the only woman in your life that you're able to compliment and they just purely receive it without without thinking mm-hmm. there's motive, there's an intent. Yeah, like to there's it. any wrong type of yeah. or different type of motivation behind right. it. And then on the flip side, it's it's the only woman in your life that you want to give to and you don't want anything back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's a unique thing too. Like I think most men get this like when it's Father's Day and, you, and your kids are like, what can I give you? In your mind, you're like, I don't want anything from you. I want to give to you, not yeah, receive right. from you, you know? And so that's just, a, those are very unique components of life. That's beautiful. What do you think about that, Claire? That was amazing. I mean, my dad has always been just an amazing guy. And I think, especially with boundaries, too, um, he's always been respectful of that um, growing up. And when I was a little girl, I just always see my dad as this amazing guy and um, just so honorable. Oh, I appreciate that. 
You know, Father's Day, I, I've, uh, I mentioned to John and Claire before we began today that I've said this many times in my life, and it's so true, that of all the job descriptions I've ever owned and had or been given, uh, my favorite by far is that of being a dad. The privilege, and you kind of related to that about the lifestyle change. Right. You're right. I mean, it. I go back to uh, when we found out that Cindy, we were married uh, six months, and we found out that Cindy was one month pregnant. So all but six months of our now 45 years of our marriage, all but six months of that have been spent either with anticipating a child or being a dad to multiple children. Wow. And, and you know, that is, that is such a wild thing when we look back. But I go back to the very beginning day that I found out that we were going to be expecting a, a child, and I was freaked. I don't mind telling you. <laughs> I, I think most people are. And I went, and I had a conversation with my pastor. I think it was honestly the most uh, meaningful chat that I'd ever had with him. And I let him know. I said, look, I'm a little concerned. Am I going to be able to love? Like what you said earlier, John, do I have the capacity to love a child the way I should? Mm -hmm. And he said, you will. Mm -hmm. He said, you're going to find that your heart will grow. It's going to be like it expands. It's almost like what happened to the Grinch who stole Christmas. His heart expanded three times. You mm -hmm. know? And that's what happens when you have children. So I look back at this. And it is truly uh, one of the most blessed things that's ever happened to me in my life to be a dad. And I love it. Well, you know, it's funny, Mike. I, uh, so my story is a little bit different than yours. So Angie and I got married uh, in our mid-20s, but we waited seven years before we had oh, kids. Oh, yeah. So we were in our 30s and pushing towards our mid-30s, I guess. And so we had established careers and things like that. So I decided we would have kids and um, we got pregnant and, um, and had a miscarriage. And you lost a child, and so mm -hmm. yeah, we did. You you know you had a more severe situation than I did, but you know going through a miscarriage, going through that loss, that mourning is was really hard. And so we got pregnant with Claire, and then there were some issues. And I will never forget going to the hospital, and um, as we were walking in, there was a admissions lady, and she was a shorter African American lady, and she was walking us back to see the doctor, or whatever. And she stopped and she looked at us. And she said, I can tell you're stressed. You need to know that God's got this in control. Wow. Mm. That's what she said. That's good. And so we walk back and they do the sonogram and there's Claire. And she's that, <laughs> that big. I mean, like a bean. Like a postage stamp. <laughs> like a postage stamp. <laughs> and that was the first time I saw Claire, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I can remember that like it was yesterday, you know? And so... um, but you're right too. I I never my whole life. I never sang. I never danced. I had no interest to do it. Couldn't do it. But man, when you've got a baby and you're trying to get him to calm down, I can sing and dance now like the best of them. Uh -huh, there you know? go. Like, That's like, right. You you learn that. I'll tell you another funny one is a uh, little known fact about me, Mike. I can do a really good impression of an elephant. I'm not going to do it right now, but I can. <laughs> and when can. Claire when Claire was like three or four, I took her to the library. You remember this? Yes, I do. And so we went to the library and there was this lady reading a book and she'd say, there's a story about a zoo and she'd mention a lion and the kids would roar. And so she mentioned elephant. And Mike, I thought everyone's going to do the elephant sound. So I do my loud, you just accurate. Let it rip. Right let there. it rip. No one else had made a sound, Mike. And everyone just sort of turned and looked at me and, and the, the lady reading, she goes, that was really good. <laughs> but this is a library. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, oh, but, that's uh, funny. but you're right. There are so many moments and all that when you're, when you have them and they're little. Listen, when you, you have that baby home from the hospital and they're naked lying in your chest and you can feel each other breathing and you start thinking, man, I got to provide for this child. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a, that's it's a huge. thing. That's a thing. Yeah. It is a thing. And I, I know that as we talk, and I, I like to say this kind of up front here in our program today, that we are, we are aware as we're sitting here talking about this with our joint experiences with Claire being here as a young lady that is a daughter and has grown up with her dad. And she's already expressed how much she loves her dad. We are aware that there are a lot of you out there that did not have a positive experience oh, with their own earthly father. And sadly, here's where that really can become a big problem. 
that can translate over into one's acceptance of the Lord mm-hmm. and God as, as their father too. And it kind of jades their relationship or their thoughts. When they read scripture, for example, and they say, our father, uh, it just instantly, a thought can be conjured up in the mind, uh, pops up there in your brain, and you go, oh, yeah, no, I don't like to think about fatherhood. That's sad. And then I think of a movie that Steve Martin came out, and I thought it was really funny. I used to love Steve Martin. I do. I think he's a funny guy. But I, I think one of the saddest movies I ever saw was the movie Fatherhood. I thought it would be good. I thought it would be fun. But it was more of a cultural uh, misinterpretation about what it is like to be a real dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it did the name fatherhood injustice. That's my personal opinion, just putting it out there. Right. You may have seen the movie and you like it and that's fine. But I think there's a better picture than that of what a, a father's love is for his kids. Well, you're, you're getting into a whole continuum of topics, right? So one of them is, and, and Claire, well, it was, we were just talking about this, like we're celebrating Father's Day and a lot of times churches do a great job of that. Uh, but what about the person who recently lost their dad, right? And a lot of people would think, oh, don't say anything. It's like, no, if you know they just recently lost their father, walk up to him, hug them, right. and say, hey, I know you're thinking about your dad. Claire, did you have a story about that? Yes. So um, in December, one of my very good friends just lost her dad, and uh, she decided not to tell me about it just because it's such an unbelievable thing mm-hmm. to happen. Surreal. I mean, and she... She loved her dad just as much as I love my dad and had a great relationship with him, but he just died instantly. And um, wow. it's been really, really hard. And uh, I think that to grieve that is just hard. <laughs> I mean, so this is her first Father's Day mm-hmm. without her dad. And uh, as a 17 year old girl, it's like going into college and going to see the world, it's like, Without my dad, that's really tough, you know, and I have my dad here and I'm so lucky and blessed that I have a dad and um, just to think that being in a world without him at this time is really, really hard. So. And and when I hear you say that, it encouraged me to like reflect on, do I know anybody that lost their dad in the last year? Right. And maybe like, maybe this Sunday morning, all of us could do that. And if we can think of anybody maybe texting them or sending them a note saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know today might be hard for yes. you. I, I remember the very first Father's Day after my dad died, my friend Larry reached out to me and he said, hey, I was thinking about you today. I know this must be a hard day. And that meant so much to me, mm-hmm. you know, right? And so uh, you and I, when you were out in the parking lot, Claire and I were walking and we saw a woman that you and I work with and mm-hmm. she lost her dad in the last year. And I was like, gosh, it's good to take time to reach out to those people and just let them know we're thinking about them and, and, and feeling that with them. And then, Mike, the second part you're talking about is like people that either never had a dad or had an abusive dad. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different continuum, right? Like right. it's on the other side yep, where it is. it's a, it's a just the father's day can be completely painful, you know, and completely uh, awful. And to your point of like, how do you help encourage somebody to deal with that reality? And then also be able to build their own relationship with God. You know, if you view yeah. God in a vengeful way, because you had a vengeful dad, that that's a tough that's a tough road. Well, I think it is very important for us to establish up front that that is still possible, mm. even though you may have had a bad experience with your own earthly father. If we if we don't just automatically deposit that bad experience into the account of God the Father, and we realize, wait a minute, God the Father has always been faithful. He's never done me harm. He's never abandoned me. He's never mistreated me or abused me or any of that. Uh, That's the truth about God. And we have to fight those kind of thoughts with truth from Mm -hmm. the word of God. For God so loved the world Mm -hmm. that he gave his only begotten son. And that kind of love, I mean, think about that. And if we just translate that love back down to us, uh, one of the things that happened when we lost Joshua was I had an impression in the week after losing him. And I, you know, it was a difficult thing. He lived nine hours, uh, died on Father's Day. So that's the day that he passed. And it was 1982. And the week after that, uh, I had an impression from God in my heart. As I was praying to the Lord, I said, Lord, I just don't understand it. I'm 
I'm I'm broken. I I don't. And and the Lord gently and lovingly, I want you to hear that lovingly spoke to my heart in a clear way that I can actually articulate the words that I heard in my mind, in my heart. And they were this, you would have done anything to preserve the life of Joshua. And he was right. I would have. I said, yes, Mm -hmm. Lord. I even tried. And he said, I gave my son willingly for you. Mm. Wow. Not in a guilt way. He didn't say it like a one-upper or anything like that, but it was out of his great love for us that he gave his only son. And that gave me a picture of just how much the father loves us. Mike, did that, uh, uh, do you think about Joshua on Father's Day? Is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that never left you? Never left me. Never left mm-hmm. you. How many years ago was that? Well, ironically, I'm glad you asked that. This coming Sunday, the 19th, in 1982, June 19th fell on a Saturday. Wow. And Joshua was born on Saturday, June 19th, 1982, wow. at 10 o'clock at night. And he lived for nine hours. He lived all the way up until um, the seven o'clock hour on Sunday morning. And there's a whole story with that. I mean, it is uh, it is amazingly uh, tender this year because we're celebrating this year uh, two two big milestones on Sunday. Number one, it would have been Joshua's fortieth birthday. Uh, had he lived with us. So so Sunday is his 40th birthday. And it's also because what happened that night when he was born on that Saturday night, John, I walked over into the delivery room, into a corner. Everyone was still there. My wife almost died during birth. It was a very difficult birth. Uh, Her blood pressure dropped. She was, it it was a very difficult thing. Uh, And there are a lot of reasons why but without going into all that, I walk over for a moment and I have a conversation with the Lord and I'm appealing, I'm crying out because he looked beautiful. He was alive and they had told us that he may not be, that he might be stillborn or that he might be greatly disfigured and none of that was true. Uh, he was alive and uh, crying and I said, Lord, if you let the if you let my baby live, I'll, be, I'll become whatever you want me to be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And to my great surprise, again, in that moment, and this was the first of these two conversations that I just mentioned with the Lord, but he impressed on my heart these words in a loving way. He said, Mike, you already know what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. And that was, I thought, no, not that. And that was to go into ministry, something that I had fought for and fought against, I uh, should say, uh, for years. And I... I said, no, I, I, I can't do that. But the, in that moment, I said, yes, Lord, mm-hmm. I will do that. Mm-hmm. And peace filled my heart so much so that I thought God was going to heal Joshua, mm-hmm. but he didn't. And so that that moment right there is the moment that God called me into ministry. So that's the second big thing that we're celebrating. It has forever been a memorial day for me to remember the call that God put in my heart that night in that delivery room with Joshua alive in that room. Wow. So that's why it's never left us. That's interesting. It's funny. And so that must give you a tremendous empathy to people who've lost children. Mm. Yes. Yeah, Cause you've been through that. Yeah. And it's also interesting that, you know, you're not uh, the typical uh, pastor guy on father's day because you have this sort of 360 perspective. Right. Um, it's true. Um, and that, that, and you know, you and I would both say, we hope, we don't know anybody else that goes through that. Yeah. You never want people to go through that. Um, but whether it's an accident or, you know, overdose or some other kind of tra- traumatic thing, you do have a place, a well you can pull out of to be empathetic. It's true. And that's there. Up against a break, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be back with John and Claire Crossman, my guests, on this Father's Day edition of Afternoons with Mike. Back again here on Afternoons with Mike on the Shepherd Radio Network. My guest today, John Crossman, who is a, a part of Mark Media with his own program, The Crossman Conversation, heard every Saturday at 105. I love the show. I get to produce that show. So uh, in today's program, we're kind of reversing chairs a little bit, although I'm in the same chair I always am. Yeah. But <laughs> you're the one driving your show, and today it's my privilege to have these two right here talking about Father's Day. 
something that is so important. And so it's just great to have John and Claire. We're going to be talking about Claire. She's quite a young lady, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted uh, John to ask her to come in and be on the program. So we'll get to her in a moment, John. But uh, you have some further thoughts about this very special topic that we're talking about today, Father's Day. Sure, sure. So I want to start by telling a story about Claire. I mean, in part to embarrass her. I mean, that's, that's kind of the <laughs> that's always a, that's a, a father's I mean, yeah, prerogative. Always, yeah, have to be. Well, you know, it's a funny thing, Mike, and I'm sure you saw this with all your kids. It's like sometimes you have a preconceived notion of what you think your kid's going to be like or sound like or look like or whatever, and then they are who they are, right? And then sometimes when, when your kid's doing something really annoying, I don't know if you ever had this happen, they just really annoying, you're like, they're me. <laughs> and that's how they can, yeah. te- they can teach us too. So one of, the, one of the things that was unique about Claire was when Claire was about four or five in that range, she really kind of like took in herself to be like, I, I'm, a, I'm a woman. I'm a young woman. And she stopped holding my hand, you know, that we would go to cross the street and you, you go to trust to hold a child's hand. And she was, she's not having that, you know, like uh, her sister who's 17 will still hold my hand, you know I mean? Like, and, and just, you know, different people, but Claire wanted to be this, this individual. And I always respected that. And she talked earlier, she referenced her about boundaries. You know, when your kid's, you know, two years old, three years old, apparently in the room, you just open the door but you know, as they get older, you know, I, I, I really became big on knocking, you know, just walking in, you know, girls and they know my knock. I kind of do my fingers, you know, like, like that, like little fingers on it. She, she knows it's me, but I'm always very careful about boundaries. So, um, when, uh, the age hit where, you know, Claire hit puberty, um, I said, I said, Claire, I want to have a talk with you. And I said, come into my office in the house. And we sat down and I said, well, I want you to know something from now on. Um, I'm never going to hug you again unless you ask for a hug. And so she kind of looked at me and I said, look, what I want you to know is no man Mm -hmm. has a right to put his hands in your body, including me. You have control of your body and you control uh, whether a man hugs you or touches you or not. And you know, she was not a real touchy kid, but I really thought this was important for her to understand this. You know, you know, Mike, you and I know this. There's some men who are really great with their daughters when they're six and seven and eight. And then that little girl turns 11, 12, 13, and they don't, they don't hug them ever again. They touch them. And there's all kinds of things that go to, but then you really want to respect, as Claire said, boundaries. So I sat there and I said this to Claire and she kind of looked down and then she looked at me and she goes, what about mom? <laughs> and I said, oh, she's hugging you whenever she wants. Like that's not, that doesn't apply to mom. So here's the funniest thing, Mike, and I really want you and, you know, your guests to hear this. What happened to 12-year-old Claire after that? She became so much more affectionate to me after that. Doesn't that seem mm, odd, you know? Yeah. But I think the difference was is that she, she felt empowered. You know, she felt empowered. And with both my daughters, you know, sometimes they'd be, you know, grumpy teenager girls like, oh, don't touch me. And so sometimes what I would do is just be like, can I kind of rub your feet? You know, I just would try to like, cause I would want to give them a little bit of touch, but safe touch boundary touch, but trying to be there for them. But like not hugging, not like unless they want that. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how much hugging we did in the following years where she'd have a rough day at school and she'd come in and just sort of collapse on me and, and just hug me. But I don't know that that would have happened if we hadn't had that clarity of like, it was her choice. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, Claire? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, definitely. I do remember that. And not only with physical boundaries, but with um, boundaries about discussing things. I remember you always telling me, you can tell me anything, but you don't have to tell me everything. And I think as I've grown up and grown into a young lady, I've really taken that in as um, you're my dad. And when people come uh, to meet you who are my friends or maybe more than friends, uh, I have to be cautious about what I tell you. Um, I think that that's important too um, of how our relationship has grown. And I think as a child, I would always um, want to tell you everything um, and know that you're such a safe place for me. And you still are. Right. Um, but changing that boundary and changing because I'm changing um, about what to tell you. And I think that's important, too, um, that that was really safe for me as well. Well, you're heading to college uh, next month. 
Oh, yeah. gosh, I'm dying. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Pump it, go selfish. Yeah. You, might <laughs> just, you might not have wanted to have gone there, oh, man. Too much. <laughs> but, you know, what I know is, is that um, you'll meet some very nice young men, and you might come home and want to bring a young man you know, with you and all that, and that's another natural season. But to that point, like, you can tell me anything, but you don't have to tell me everything. Exactly. <laughs> and that, you know, um, you get in a fight with him, and then you want to pick up the phone and say, something negative about him mm-hmm. and then uh, then you get back together with him but that negative thing is stuck in my right, head right and that's why we've been really big in our house of like making sure you mm-hmm. have a multiple to healthy relationships mm-hmm. and with some of the stuff we've been through you know claire's mom's had some health issues and um gosh i don't know how many years ago we started but we put um thanks to angie claire's mom we put her in counseling every saturday so mm-hmm. she had that as a resource in christian counseling mm-hmm. and that's been really helpful and so you have We've been thoughtful about putting healthy women in Claire's life yes. and encouraging Claire with these different Christian women, uh, tell them everything. And so it's mm-hmm. not like an absence of parenting, right? But, and I'm sure that if you told Carolyn or Amanda or somebody right. something that was like, oh my gosh, they'd pick up the phone and tell me, hey, you need to get involved. Exactly. But you just need to be able to get and process some different life issues out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not the skilled person for all those issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I hadn't thought about that, that context, but I think that's really right. Those, those healthy boundaries. Right. Right. And Definitely. some people, some people don't tell their kids enough and some people tell their kids too much. There's right. the opposite of that too. You know, I had a family member that I was really having some issues with, and I did not tell Claire about that because I, I didn't want my relationship with this one family member to interrupt her relationship with that family mm-hmm. member. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to create a little, you know, drawing lines between family members. And so I really want her to have all her own relationships. You know, she, uh, I've said this, like she has access to all our family and different friends and like her developing those own relationships are really key for her. It really is. And, you know, I think that a lot of, a lot of families, they kind of lose their way on that point about the changes age brings Mm -hmm. in in the kids and they'll try to just uh, maybe keep the same kind of structure of relationship that they have when their kids five all the way on up into their the teens and that doesn't work or in their 40s (laughs) i mean that happens too (laughs) we know we're in a new season you know claire's on the cusp of turning 19 and you know um so i have people say to me how are your kids and i'm like well i have close to two adults you know i have a 17 year old and almost 19 year old and so uh, when I refer to Claire as an adult, you know, some people sort of look at me sideways. Well, she's still living in her house and she's still, I guess, technically a teenager. I'm like, yeah, but she also could leave. She could join the yeah, army. That's right. You know, she could walk away. She's an adult. She is an adult. So, <laughs> yeah. so then it becomes about, um, uh, we're roommates, right? Or, you know, if I'm paying her bills, it's like an employer. I mean, it's not exactly, but having those like, just like, Hey, let's talk this out as a conversation mm-hmm. as adults. Right. And, uh, uh, communicating what does that what does that look like? You know, mm-hmm. our most recent conversation was uh, should Claire get a booster shot or not? And so you know, like that's a whole thing. Like she's an adult; she needs to decide does she want to get a booster shot or not. But also, like if she doesn't, she lives with other people. Does that impact them or not? Right. You know, like that's. But I mean, to like you know, you have this child, you have this baby, and you you put them wherever you want. You feed them what you think they need to be fed. You put them in the schools, like you know, and also now they're an adult in the household and you have to mix around that dynamic, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not like no rules, there's still boundaries, but it's an evolution of those boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? A growing of the boundaries, they need to change, they need to be adapted, and they need to, I believe, as God continues to knit hearts together, because again, that process happens too. You You know, a child does not keep just exactly the same kind of image or love for his parent, her, his or her parents as, uh, they, they will when they get to be a, a teenager. And so it should be. Sadly, I find that so many people really lose it um, when they get to be a teen mm-hmm. and they, they don't respect their, their dad anymore. They used to, but they've been affected in many times. They've been affected by peers who have a bad attitude, references to a father as my old man and my old man doesn't know anything and blah, blah, blah. So there's a joke. I don't know if you ever heard this about, about a guy who, when he was 16 said, 
you know, when he was 21, he looked back to when he was 16. He said, when I was 16, uh, I, I didn't think my dad knew anything. And now that I'm 21, I'm surprised how wise he's become in only six years. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, f- uh, five years. Five right. years. You know, I can't, can't get my math right here. Man. <laughs> yeah. You know, that he, he was that smart all along. That's the point. But a lot of times kids, if they're affected by peers and they are not grounded well with a solid relationship with their parents, it can really go south as they get older. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I, one of the things that I tried to do with both Claire and her sister was give them a vision of the future. And one of the things I used to say to them, I still say in some context, is like, girls, you know, when you're my children, you're in my house, I make the decisions. I said, someday you'll have your own house and you'll have your own car. And it's yours. And mm-hmm. if I go to you and say, hey, may I borrow your car? You could say, no, right? I said, but here's the further vision. There'll be a time when I look at you and say, Claire, should I have this surgery? And then you'll make the decision for me, <laughs> right? And that's, so when you give a child, a teenager to go like, wait a minute, you will not always be under my thumb. In fact, at some point, I'll be under your thumb. And that's natural, right? That's right. that's the natural right. progression. Now, some people want to cling to the power to the very end, but to me, to like relinquish that power, right? I've I told the girls, I'm like, watch your your grandmother. You know, your grandmother is losing power. You know, she loses her health. Mm-hmm. Gets her. You're gaining power, right? Mm-hmm. And understand that that dynamic. So I wanted to, to bring up this story, and that is, um, it was almost exactly six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got contacted by the American Diabetes Association and they wanted to award me, uh, the father of the year, you know, which is a big deal. Congratulations, big, man. Yeah. Big deal thing. And so when they contacted me, I told them, I said, well, look, I'm not going to accept it. Um, you know, and get everything set up to go to have this big event until I go home and talk to the girls about it. So I went home and I was sitting at the kitchen table and I started explaining there's a group called American Diabetes Association and they have this event every year. And it's, um, it's called the father of the year and every year they nominate a handful of men. And I didn't finish the story and both the girls said, you're kidding it. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> they jumped up and hugged me and it was a really sweet moment. But I said, listen, sit down. I said, I want to finish this. I will not accept the award unless you two say it's okay for me to accept the award. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, so whatever that was, so you were 12, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And so your right. sister was 10. But, you know, I wanted them to feel empowered that, hey, I didn't want that to feel like a scam, you know, where like mm-hmm. I'm getting this in my daughters. And so then when we went to the actual event itself and we did it, um, I was on, we were all on stage together, right? And so uh, the, the girls actually inducted me. They both spoke and then I spoke. But I wanted to mention this to you, Mike, because it was a really big moment in my head because I don't think the audience got this. Well, when I gave my speech, and it was like 500 people there, and both mayors were there. I mean, it's a big, huge deal mm-hmm. event. Sure it is. I said to the audience this. I said, I've told my daughters that many years from now, after I'm gone, they will more than likely have a moment where they look back and they feel some sense of anger at finally, not finally, but at some level, realizing some of my failures as a dad, mm-hmm. my blind spots. And I want them to know they have my blessing to be angry with me. Mm. They never have to feel shame about acknowledging that. Now, I think what you mean by anger there, not, not like an unholy anger yeah, yeah, you know. or, or anything like that, or just bitterness. You're talking yeah. about the ability to say, you know, that wasn't right, or that I, I wish that had gone differently, uh, uh, and be able to speak like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or yeah, like they might say... Um, Gosh, you know, Dad never really understood this aspect of my life, and maybe mm-hmm. I didn't. Don't agree so fast. All right. No, no, <laughs> no, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> no, but I mean, maybe, maybe I. They look back and they like. They might think, "Oh gosh, I wish Dad would have been more pushy for us to be involved in this church group." And I maybe I maybe I was too empowering. Maybe I because I was trying to say as a father, I'm going to let you choose. And maybe when they look back when they're in their forties, like, Oh, dad should not let me choose. He should have just made me do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, if she's, if Claire's talking to a friend or a therapist and she's like, yeah, my dad failed in that area. I want her to know, like, don't feel shame about putting that on the table. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there was an example, Claire, I'd love for you to to chime in on this as well. But there Mm -hmm. was an example of my own parents. I was 16 years old and they made a decision that it was hard for me. And and I I felt it was the wrong decision. And and they began to see that it was indeed the wrong decision. Mm. And at one point, my mom looked at me and she goes, son, we're so sorry, but you just have to realize this is the first time we've ever been parents. And we, and we, we made a mistake and I thought that was one of the most meaningful things. Mm. And it just, it just deflated the whole point of being upset in that moment or whatever, because of the fact that, Hey, we're all human. We all blow it. And if we, we need to remember that, isn't that right? Yes. Yes. And I think that there was one time where I was looking at, um, God's love letter to us and it's built up of a whole bunch of verses um, talking about God's love for us. And um, one of the verses talks about how God is our perfect father. And I remember reading that and then going to my dad and looking at him and being like, but I already have a great dad. Like I already have the perfect father. Oh, wow. Uh, That's great. (laughs) This was before. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) um, But I think that uh, there has been some times, you know, obviously of everyone deals with this uh, of just being frustrated or maybe um, your dad not understanding a certain thing about you, especially because I'm a woman. Um, And I've really had to realize recently that he's human. Mm -hmm. He's human and he makes mistakes. And just like I make mistakes. Gets tired, you know, and then not always at my best. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that recently I've, I've had to look at that through a different perspective and um, also going back to boundaries of being like, hey, like, do you have the brain capacity to talk about this um, or to discuss this with me? It's emotional. It's kind of up there. But do you have this capacity? And sometimes we'll say no and sometimes we'll say yes. Um, But having that boundary there would be is important. Um, Claire's more of a night person. Mm -hmm. That's why she's saying that. And like. I'm infamous for being like, I'm just going to sit here on the couch. And then like, yes, 10 seconds later, I'm fully asleep. <laughs> and so, you know, Claire is a kind of person that it might be, um, I don't know, 1030 at night. And she might have some big topic that she wants to talk on. I remember. Oh, I remember that. Oh, Lord. I, I got an argument with her one hey, time. Let's pick this oh, up sorry, right in the next break here. Go ahead. Right after the break, we're up against one. This is so much fun. John and Claire Crossman. And we're going to talk about that topic when they come. we come back. This is Afternoons with Mike. Back again here on the Father's Day edition of Afternoons with Mike. You know, we were talking at the end of the last segment, kind of had to jump out for the break. But, you know, you're right, John. Uh, I found that all of my teens, when they were all my kids, when they were teens, uh, that it seemed like 1030 or 11 was the hour that everyone suddenly wanted to talk. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to get used to that. Well, sure. And I, I, I think what Claire in her wisdom is saying that, you know, Certainly, if there was an emergency, I could be there for her. At the same time, if she really needed high brain capacity from me, there was better times to talk, mm-hmm. right? And then right. and learning how to schedule that. So, um, I mean, I think she was little, like, I mean, seven or eight. And she and I were in an argument. And I told her, I'm like, Claire, you're going to bed. And she was mad. And like, I'm like, that's it. We're done. And so she goes to bed. So then I go to bed or whatever. Next morning, I open the door. And Mike, it's like the conversation restarted. I mean, mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Like, like, like. I never got finished. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, I mean, it was like right in her frontal lobe, right? But that's how God made her. Like, that's who, you know, like, so I know that, like, when Claire has certain things she wants to talk about, it's really important that she talks it out. But that goes back to um, encouraging them to have a multitude of relationships, just like I need to have relationships. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes if I need to talk to Claire about something and I'm kind of hot or agitated or scared or whatever, I can go talk to you or talk to somebody else and get some wisdom and have have a healthier perspective. So I think that, you know, trying to make sure that we're we're in places to talk things out. I gotta say this one, Mike. So one time uh I picked her up from a counseling session and the counselor looked at me and said, Hey, next week Claire wants you to come with her to the counseling session. So we're driving the car and and Claire's fifteen or sixteen or something. 
And I said, well, what did you want to talk about? And she goes, oh, we'll, we'll get to that then. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> a woman thing that's to really say. fun. <laughs> yeah. And so I go to the counseling session and the counselor looks at me and she says, your daughters don't like it when you're constantly say, yeah, I'm doing great. They want you to say how you're feeling and also then share what you're doing to deal with your feelings. So I used to always say like, if they said, how was your day today? And I would say, oh, it was great. Well, they know that's not true. I'm not Superman. But if I said, oh, Mike and I, you know, had this really hard time with, we did this show. We've never had a bad show, <laughs> but, right. but if we had a bad show or, you know, or, or you know, uh, I was having a rough day or Mike was having a rough day, but Mike listened to me, which you have done. And I got my feelings out. And so I had a better day. Like if I said I had a sad day and then I talked to my friend, Mike, and, and I got my feelings out, that is more encouraging to teenage girls right? Yeah. Then telling them, great, Mm -hmm. because teenage girls are feeling, they're feeling all kinds of stuff. And at some sense, it seems counterintuitive. But if you're sitting with your teenage daughters and you're having dinner and you're like, gosh, I just feel really sad. Mm -hmm. Like they can hear that. They can go, oh, I'm feeling sad too. And then you can have it, you have a humanity there with them. That's very real. You know, there's an old analogy that it's, it's like level one to five that analogy is used all the time, like five meaning the most meaningful, the most deep level of communication and love. And then level one is like the very basement of nothing. Well, guys can say to one another, uh, hey, what about that game last night? And and a lot of guys interpret the answers. Yeah, it was a big game. Yeah, go go magic or whatever. They'll they'll think they've hit level five communication. Mm-hmm. That's not <laughs> right. And, and I think most men need to realize that there are depths that ladies, just by nature, they really get into the feeling. Like you said, they get into the details, and it is important for men to realize that. And that's what you were learning. Well, and I'll give you a different one. This is a little bit harder one, but. Uh, I've had my teenage daughters tell me, dad, that guy makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when your teenage daughter says that to you about a 45 year old man, you better believe it. Yeah. You better believe it. I, I don't care. I agree. Yeah. And if you're at church and they're like, that guy always wants to give me a hug and I don't want to give him a hug. Well, girl, don't you hug him. <laughs> and no, no, again, back, no man, but listening to them and validating what they're feeling. Cause a lot of times they have good sense on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, I have a big love for uh, veterans and their work. And so we always talk in our house about, you know, what if, on Veterans Day, what we do and on Memorial Day and on Memorial Day, we remember, that's the way we talked about that. And so every year we do something. And uh, last year, Claire and I went to the uh, Vietnam War Memorial near our house and we laid flowers down and then we recorded it because we have a friend uh, who served in Vietnam and he was an officer. And so we sent him a video saying, hey, today we're remembering the men who served under your command who didn't come home. Yeah. And so, and I know that meant so much. So meaningful. So meaningful. So um, we're getting up to this Father's Day or Memorial Day. And I drove by our house and I had had the Palm Beach Atlantic Atlantic flag flying. And I did that for Claire's graduation and all this stuff around that because I'm honoring Claire Palm Beach Atlantic. So I drive by and the Palm Beach Atlantic flag's not up. The American flag's up. And I'm like, what? Claire did that. Mm. Claire took down her flag and put up the American flag because she knows I wanted the American flag flying on Memorial Day. Isn't that cool? How that's, that, that's a deep, yeah. you know, that's a deep, I know you, I know this is important kind of moment. Right. And, and deferring, actually deferring another over what would be your own heart or your own life represented deferring what your dad was blessed by. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. You know, that Richard Fugate, uh, in his book, What the Bible Says About Child Training, talks about this kind of a sliding scale, if you will, if you imagine an X and a Y coordinate, if you're into math at all, if you're into geometry, you would understand this. But the, but the, the arrow going up, meaning the amount of control and discipline, starts high when a baby's born. I mean, you've got a lot of, right. uh, a high level of discipline, a high level of authority over that child. And then the arrow that goes horizontal away from the vertex there, the, the center, uh, is, is meaning as they get older, 
And, and that is friendship and that is relationship. Right. And yeah. the farther that goes away from it, well, what happens on this, this one of control, it comes down while the friendship and love and relationship uh, as the child gets older goes up. And there's a point where they cross and the other one is diminished and relationship and friendship is to continue and grow. And that's God's will for us. Mm. Well, my last uh, comment on all this, because I know you wanted to ask Claire some questions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> is this, is that um, Claire and I and her sister, we visited, uh, we were visiting churches years ago, and we visited a church on Father's Day. And bless his heart, the pastor gave this sermon. And the sermon was, dads need to step it up. That was his whole thing. And I remember the whole time I was thinking to myself, no, dude, <laughs> I, I need a nap. I need a nap. And so I think that, you know, and the, again, we go back to the spectrum, right? And we have some, some dads are absent and they do need to step it up, mm. but we have other dads that are doing more than, mm-hmm. than, than necessary. Yeah. And so I think that trying to like have the spectrum in our hearts of where people are at on Father's Day is really just a big thing Claire and I talked about, like of really trying to be sensitive to that. your cousin, Sherry, who we're going to go see, Yes. you know, she lost, you know, her dad, my uncle Paul. And I, 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 I just know Sunday is going to be so hard for her and right. I want to be there for her. And then, you know, um, Mr. Martinez and Mike knows Mr. Martinez. I mean, Mr. Martinez is a single dad raising three kids right. and working, you know, he needs a hug, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? So trying to think about where people are in the spectrum, I think is a good thing to reflect on. And is so good. Well, we talked about Claire being here today and Claire is, as John said, preparing right now for college. And you're going to be leaving next month for Palm Beach Atlantic, not Orlando, but down in West Palm Beach. Yes, sir. How are are you excited about that? I am so excited. I actually just talked with my admissions counselor last night about fun college stuff. And there is obviously the nerves, but Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. I'm going there early um, on a summer uh, program and I'll be taking one class. So and then it'll lead into the fall semester. Now you're one that love you love music. Yes, it, it, you've excelled at it. You have been a person that uh, you've sung in in uh, musicals. That's that's so cool. I love that. Thank I was you. Uh, a lover of singing too, but I never did the kind of Broadway type mm-hmm. plays that you've done. How early on did you realize that you you liked it and that you could do it? Oh gosh, well I know that my dad has a good story about that, but. Uh, um, he likes to brag about it, but whenever I was like four or something, I um, was playing this like karaoke game and on the TV, uh, when you sing, you can hit the certain notes, like the notes will show on mm-hmm, the screen. Right. And um, my dad did it first. Um, as he said before, he, he can, he can sing, dance and do all of those things. Um uh, so he just tried it and uh, I did it after him and his score was lower than mine, but I was mm-hmm. four and he was, well, I don't know. <laughs> so um, I've always loved music. I've always loved to sing and I've always loved to act. My mom uh, was an actress. She was in a Disney commercial um, and she's just been so inspiring, inspiring mm-hmm. to me. And um, I do want to get a BFA in theater. And that's something that my mom did. So I think it's kind of in my blood. <laughs> okay. What would be your ultimate goal? Um, well, my ultimate goal, I don't know. Uh, so many things have shifted. I originally wanted to go into business with a major and uh, uh, God was just like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, actually, I, I have a story about that. I, When I was planning to do my audition for PBA, I originally wanted to do a theater minor. And so the day before my audition, I had stacked on stack on stack meetings with people at PBA. And so my last meeting was with one of the theater teachers or professors there. Mm -hmm. And so I had told him my plan about I was going to be a public relations major and do theater as a minor. And he just was kind of like, well, theater major is better um, and just kind of shifting over to the theater major. And so I got really discouraged and really disappointed. Um, and I just prayed about it. And that night I just practiced again my audition. And in the morning I warmed up, I got ready, I prayed again. And 
I just kind of left the last hour um, before my audition just to leave it to God mm-hmm. because I just was so in the dark. My All of my dreams had just been like crushed of what I was going to do. And um, I walked into that audition feeling so much peace, like very, very peaceful, the most peaceful I've felt about any decision. And uh, I just, I did that audition and they saw something in me and they were like, we want you to do the theater major and we want you to be in the BFA program, which is such an honor. Um, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And after months of praying about it and waiting, I, I've decided to accept the program. So we'll see where that takes me, but I'm just taking it one step at a time. Along the way, you've received some really beautiful awards and, and uh, commendations and, and a scholarship. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Now, that's got to be very exciting. How is it? How was it in your heart about moving away from mom and dad? You've been living there at home. How was that? It's good. I mean, I feel like my dad and mom have really prepared me. I actually just got back from New York and they weren't there with me. I went with uh, my best friend, Natalie and uh, her parents. And so I was in a big city um, without them, without my family. And I kind of felt at home. I was, I was expecting this big reaction of like, I'm in New York, but really uh, I just was like, I'm in New York. <laughs> there you go. And it's a, it's crazy how how much of the arts you you have right down there in downtown Manhattan. Yes. And it's a lot of fun to go to those shows. It yes. really is. I haven't been to New York now since about 12, 2012. Really? Yeah, so it's been a while, but it, it's a lot of fun. Well, I can't tell you, speaking of fun, how much fun this has been to have uh, John and Claire Crossman in here with me. And uh, I, I went ahead and talked about in segment one about what I was thinking I was going to be referring to in this segment. But I'll just close with this. And guys, we can uh, all chime in uh, as well. As we approach this coming Sunday, this is a day to lay aside Uh, Some of the concerns that you might have had about things that weren't perfect with your dad, if you're if you're blessed to still have your dad, I would encourage you to pick up the phone if he lives somewhere away from you or to go visit him if he lives near you. And give him one of those John Crossman hugs. Mm-hmm. I think that is important. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. I would agree with that. And and I would uh, take it one step further than that by saying um, any dad, you know, any mm. dad, you know. Mm, good. Um, you know, I was clear. I always think about John Murray as a right. dad that I've just, I've just seen him as a great dad and just watched him. And now I see him as a, as a great uh, grandfather. And so I think that anywhere you see men, they're doing it right. Like affirm that. Mm-hmm. Affirm know? it. It's you know, beautiful. Uh, men that are sacrificing and doing the right thing. And there's a lot of great dads out there. Let's put that energy in and affirming and hugging and highlighting that. Well, I appreciate that. That's a beautiful thought to close on. John Crossman and Claire Crossman, my guests today on Afternoons with Mike. Have yourself a wonderful Father's Day weekend. We'll see you Monday right here on The Shepherd.